Proverbs chapter 16. We're going to jump around again today. There's an outline in the bulletin you can uh, follow along. We're going to look at five different uh, verses this morning. Last week, um, we talked about pride. We talked about the fact that it was, uh, we all had it, that God thought that pride was evil. It was the the impetus for the, the first sin of Adam and Eve, that we all inherit that. We all have it, and, and therefore, we're all, in one sense, evil. And I kind of thought maybe would get a little more pushback during the week about that. I sent you home with not a lot of hope, really. I just said, you're all evil. You'll have a nice week. Um, I did get a couple of comments from some folks during the week, which was good. Um, a couple of questions, because I really did give kind of a one-sided presentation. And I had a couple of folks during the week said, but what about this. And so I want to answer a couple of those questions first. Because um, I'd said, when we're discontent, usually what that means is that's pride knocking, the, that I, I don't like the established order, right, and I want to turn it upside down. And so one of the questions was, just because I feel discontent, does that mean that's pride knocking, or could that be a conviction of God that I really need to set something right that's already out of whack? Um, that there's some injustice that I see that I need to fix. And I think that's exactly right. Again, I, I purposely gave a one side. I wanted you to wrestle with the fact that we are at our core evil. But there may be other things going on that feel the same. Right? Discontentment may, may be pride. I don't like the way God has my life right now and I want it to change. Or discontentment may be the world is messed up. God, what can I do to, to right the ship? What can I do to help set you back on the throne? And I really think those may feel the same at times. And so part of our, our task as believers is to discern, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to put God back on the throne, or am I trying to just knock somebody else off the sand pile so I can get on? Have you ever played King of the Mountain when you're little? Someone built a sand pile, and it was, you know, you... You charge up and you try to wrestle them off, right? Um, because we think that when I'm on top of the sand pile that, that I'm in charge of the world, right? Um, and sometimes that's how we deal with life, right? There's, this is not right, but I just think you're wrong and, and I want my opinion to rule when really it's just like a kid playing on a sand pile. And so part of our, our task as believers is to discern are things really out of whack, or am I just unhappy because I think God should have my life differently? The next question was more along the lines of, I get that. I get that, that whining and complaining and me wanting things different can be pride, but, but when things are really, really hard, do I have to like it? That's a great question. Do I have to like it? My answer for that is no, James 1, 2, and, uh, and Acts 5, notwithstanding. James 1, 2 says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. And in Acts 5, remember the disciples, went away joyful that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Considered to suffer, they were worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. Um, I think from the context of both of those passages, and we can talk about that some more if you'd like, um, afterward, no, we don't have to like it. But a great question to, 
to ask ourselves or to evaluate how we're doing is, is are you asking in the midst of that pain that you don't like, in the midst of the frustrations of life that you don't like, God, what are you doing and what do you want me to do? What are you trying to teach me in the midst of this? What is my response supposed to be? Because that's a sign that that's not pride. I'm actually seeking God. God, I, okay, I trust your sovereignty. I trust that this mess that I'm in, that you're really in control of in some way. But what's, what's my response to that? And I think if, we're, if we go along those lines, if we're seeking God in the midst of that, that's not pride. That's a genuine seeking after God. And you may feel discontent. But I don't think you have to like the frustrations of life. You don't have to like the fact that, that the fall has, has caused hardship for us or that maybe someone else's sin has caused hardship for us or even that your own sin has caused hardship for yourself, but that's another issue as well. Do you recognize that, that that's your sin that are causing consequences? So... Two thoughts, if you have some more questions about that, I would love to, to talk with you about that a little bit. Um, nevertheless, wherever we find ourselves this morning, pride is an issue that we all deal with on a regular basis because we really all, at some point in time, we find ourselves unhappy with life and we really wish that things were different. If I were in control... And so I want to start in Proverbs 16.5 because it's a little review. If you weren't here last week, it'll be the Cliff Notes version. And if you were, just a reminder of where we want to start because we want to get somewhere today. We want to find that there actually is a solution to our problem. We want to see what that solution is. So Solomon writes in 16.5, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. Let me pray for us as we begin our time together. Father, thank you for your word. Pray that you'd open our, our eyes and our ears, that we would see, we would hear, and that you would change us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He uses the word abomination about this is our, our haughty heart or our prideful heart. Same idea we talked about last week. He just adds a noun after it turns it into an adjective, our, our prideful heart, our high heart. And he says it's an abomination. If you, if you look through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you see that God calls a lot of things abominations. Things that we would say, oh, I would never do that. Things like child sacrifice. We think, oh, don't put me in that category. And yet he says pride is in that category. We are, when we exhibit pride, no matter how big or how small we are, an abomination to God. And he says... On the second half of that verse, assuredly he will not be unpunished. The first lesson from that verse is our pride really is that bad. We have to remember that's got to be before us. Our pride really is that bad. Second, our pride deserves punishment. Because again, what pride says is, God, I don't like you on the throne. I want to be on the throne, right? And when, when we in, in society and in culture throughout history, when someone has attempted to remove someone from the throne, we call that sedition or treason or maybe a coup. And in most cultures, even up to our culture today, 
Treason is a capital punishment. Now, we think in America, well, you know, murder is a capital punishment, but treason in America today is you can still get the death penalty for that. You may not have killed anybody. Maybe no one even died, but nonetheless, that's, that's the penalty for saying, I don't, I don't like you in control. Same is true for God, right? The punishment for treason is death. That's where we have to start this morning because otherwise nothing will make any sense. Turn to Proverbs 21.2. We're going to jump around. Let's look at a, a few together this morning. Did I say? Yeah, 21.2, right. Because the response, the natural response of humanity is, but I'm not that bad. Right? I mean, okay, so sometimes my pride exerts itself a little bit, but I'm not that bad. I mean, I know people that are a lot worse, right? And in 21.2 we read, Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Right? We, we can justify our actions, we can excuse our actions, we can brush them aside, or, or better yet, we can compare them to somebody else's and we say, See, I'm not that bad compared to. And the first thing this verse teaches us is, is that we are, as humanity, easily deceived. Every man's way is right in his own eyes. Right? I, I look at myself and I go, that, that's okay. I'm, I'm really all right. It's, it's that person that's at fault. can't be me. The next thing this verse teaches us is that God is not deceived. God weighs the heart. He, he's the one that looks inside and says, right, wrong. You're fooling yourself or you're on the right track. God's not deceived and, and He knows the truth. So if God knows the truth about us, then one of the applications should be, am I seeking Him? And if God is good, and, and I believe that He is, and if God desires us to change, He desires us to be more like His Son, and I believe that He does, then might it be possible, if He knows the true condition of our heart, that it might be worth our time to ask Him? Maybe even on a daily basis. Flip back with me to, to Psalm 139. Maybe this is an, an exercise that you could engage in at the end of your day on a, on a nightly basis. Just find a, a time before your eyes close where it's quiet. And maybe like David, you could, you could just memorize this verse and, and use it as a prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I mean, he already does, but David's asking for, for more than just the fact that, God, I know what you're doing. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Would you be willing to just say on a, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, God, where did I, where did I blow it today? Where, where did pride assert itself? Where did I... 
I think that you really should be off the throne and I should be on it. And then would you be willing to listen? To think through your day? To allow Him to speak to you? You know, in one sense, in, in, in a Jewish culture, the new day began, began at, at sunset. Right? The day started at night. And so in one sense, you spent the first part of your day completely out of control. Right? You were asleep. Right? We think that our day starts when the alarm goes off or when the sun comes up or whatever it is that however you wake up. Right? And then it's feet out of bed and here we go. I'm in control. Right? Could it be that, that you end that day and realize that, that my day is starting now. God, speak to my heart now. And, and may I spend that time when I'm asleep knowing that I'm forgiven and cleansed and aware of the day, aware of what's happened, aware of where I failed you. And then I would begin that day falling off to sleep in close communion and fellowship with God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Would we ask God to do that? Could that become a pattern or a habit? Maybe on the same page in your Bible, back up to chapter 20, verse 12. You may have to flip back one page. He says, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, a, a reference to what we talked about a minute ago from Jeremiah and also Mark 8. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made both of them. See, I think it's a, a wonderful example of grace that God equipped us with these things and these things. That we could, that we could look into the world and see and hear and observe Him in the world, that we could look into this and see and hear what He says to us, that He's actually given us the ability to search out knowledge and wisdom and His character. Just think about that for a moment. He gave us these things so that we might know Him better. And so the question is, how are you using them? How do you use your eyes and your ears? Are you like the people of Israel? Are you like the Pharisees and the disciples? Are you hearing but not really hearing? Are you seeing but not really seeing? Do you go about your day and you observe and you watch, but you know, you're not really learning, you're not really taking it in, you're not really applying things to your life? What are you using your eyes and your ears for? Are you using them to search out wisdom in here? Oh, yeah, I spend time in God's Word, but do you really? Do you really spend time here looking for true wisdom? Or are you too busy? Yeah, you know, I'll get to that tomorrow. You know, next week I'll, I'll rearrange. Have you made time? Do you? Because if you haven't and you don't, then you are too busy. And sometimes in, in our culture, we use, that's a, that's a pride issue. Right? We, we sort of brag about how busy we are. We talk about that. Oh, I'm, I'm busy, and that's kind of a, a badge of honor. Right? I'm, I'm involved in so many things, and you should be proud of me that I'm, I've got all the balls up in the air, and so far, I haven't dropped one yet, right? 
And will we, will we recognize in our lives that God gave us two ears and two eyes for a purpose? And that purpose is to honor Him. And one of the ways we do that is to know Him and learn about Him and take His truth and apply it to our lives. The other thing that we do, besides ignoring God's Word, is, is we use these things and we waste them on fruitless things. We waste, we waste them on things that don't bear fruit. We waste them on um, worthless things. And turn back to the Psalms for a moment. Psalm 119, uh, verse 37. Except it's not verse 37. Oh, no, it's not verse 137. I can't read. It is verse 37. The psalmist writes, Turn my eyes away from looking at vanity. In that section, there's, there's all these um, requests that the psalmist makes of God in those eight verses. God, do this. God, do this. God, do this. And there's this, it's a confession of helplessness. And one of the things he asks is, God, turn my eyes away from that which is worthless. Because I promise if it's up to me, I'm going to chase after that which is vain, that which is worthless. Are we even seeking God's help to make sure that we're looking at the right thing? Are we wasting our time on that which really doesn't edify or satisfy? What are we letting in here? What are we letting in here? Turn over to Proverbs 29.25. One of the worthless things that we pursue, especially in our culture, is the, the comparison game. We look out and we go, I, I need or I want to be like that person. I wish I had what that person had. And really what that is, is, is we're allowing someone else to set the standard of our life and to set the motivation for our life. And remember back at the very beginning when we started Proverbs, we said, that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's the standard and it's the motivation. And when someone else is my standard of how I'm supposed to live and it's my motivation for what gets me up in the morning because I want to be like that person, then we've replaced the fear of man. We've replaced the fear of God with the fear of man. And in 29.25 we read, The fear of man brings a snare or a trap. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. If, if man is your standard, if man is your motivation, that's a trap. Well, why is that a trap? Because there's no freedom in looking out into the world and saying, if I was really worth something, I would be like or I, you or I would have something you have because what that is, is an illusion. Because you never see the complete picture of someone else. You, never do. you may think you want something they have. You may want their looks or their personality. You may want their motivation or their spiritual gifts. You may want their car or their kids or their spouse or their season in life. But you don't see all of them. 
you see a, a snapshot, you see an illusion, you see a front that sometimes people put on, but you don't follow them around 24-7 and know that, that what you think is perfect, what you think is the standard is really, <laughs> you don't want that. It's a trap. Because what you're doing is you're exchanging who God made you to be, which is who He made you to be, for something that's not even real. You have tangibleness. You have realness. You have a personality, and you have a location, and you have a profession, and you have a purpose that God gave you individually. And it's a trap to think, I'd rather have this illusion, right? Because it's a trap because you're always reaching for something that doesn't exist. And then when you learn enough about that person to go, oh, I, yeah, I don't really want to be like them. Then you look for somebody else. Oh, but I do want to be like them. And, and that's also an illusion. And you're just reaching for something that doesn't exist. You exist. And our standard and our motivation is, who is Christ? But he who trusts in the Lord... The NAS says exalted. Some versions say will be protected. Literally it says will be set on high. And that could be exalted. I think the opposite of a trap is it's protected. If you trust in God, you're protected. If my fear is of God and not of man, then I'm safe. I'm put above the fray, put above the, the foolishness of looking at men and going, I want to be like that. I trust in God. God, you made me who you wanted me to be. Through your spirit, would you conform me to your image based on my personality and, and who you've made me to be? Then if you can do that, you avoid looking at everybody else in the room going, I'm missing out. I'm guilty of that. I've got lots of friends who I think got in line like two or three times for spiritual gifts. And somehow I don't think that's fair. They have the spiritual gift that I think that I want. But it's, it's an illusion. And God made me who He wanted me to be and put me where He wanted me to be for a purpose. And if I'm chasing somebody else's dream, then, then I'm missing out on the beauty and the wonder of today in my life and who God brings across my path. Last one. Chapter 30, verse 5. Again, maybe it's on the same page. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. That word tested is the word that's used for silver and gold when it's heated and purified and the, the, the scum, the, the not gold, the not silver is scraped off the top. And then it's ready to be poured into a mold to make something beautiful. Now that's what God's Word is like. It's pure already and it's just waiting to be applied to your life to make something beautiful out of you. Every word is like that. It's this wonderful treasure chest that are we willing to just kind of pour into our lives and, and see what He makes? And because He has made each of you the, the mold that He wants you to be, right? And He's ready to just pour His word into you that you might be a treasure that he can show the world. See what I can do with this empty, worthless, prideful, evil shell when I pour myself 
into it. And so we need His Word because number one, it, it tells us, it teaches us what is the correct established order. Right, we, we can look at this and, okay, this is the way it's supposed to be. It also shows us how we get things turned upside down and it helps us figure out how to get things turned right side up again. Right, it's, it's a guide and it's a trustworthy guide. And it helps us to look into our hearts and know where we've subverted that order and where we don't keep it, where we ignore it. And then ultimately we know that God sent the Word, Jesus, the, the perfect one. Remember, we, we go back to the beginning, right? Our, our pride, our arrogance is an abomination. It deserves death. And Jesus said, if anybody deserved to be prideful, it was the one that was there from eternity that created all that we see. If anyone had the right to affirm his will, it was Christ and he submitted himself to the Father. And he came and lived a perfect life, tried like Adam was and succeeded where we all fail. And then said, I know they deserve death. I know they are an abomination to you, Father, but let me take their place. Let me be that abomination in your eyes. Let me be death in your eyes. And if you think that there's a little bit of good in you, that's worth salvaging, then you don't need Jesus. If you think there's something in you that you can build on, then you don't need Jesus. He came for those of us who recognize that there's nothing in me to offer. And this morning we're going we're gonna to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And, and this is a reminder of that. And if you think that there's, there's something in you besides God's Spirit that, that is good, then this really is a waste of time. It's a waste of your time. Because if you think coming up here and having a little crack, a little bit of juice, and then going out into the world and, and solving this week's problems in your own strength and your own ability, this, this won't do anything for you. But if you recognize that I am weak and I am prideful, and, and without what Christ has done, without that I am an abomination, then, then now this brings us hope. This really can nourish us because we come and we remind ourselves Christ gave himself for us when he didn't have to. This reminds us that we one day, despite who we are, will be resurrected. 
and it's a testimony to each other. As we look around and we see other people doing that, they're in the same boat that I am. It helps us to avoid the comparison game. It helps us from looking at someone and going, man, I wish I was like them, and then we see them take this as a testimony to our own inadequacy, our own evil. And I can say, no, I, I don't need to be like that person. I need Jesus. And so if you have in your mind this morning that you're still wrestling with, yeah, but I'm not that bad. This, this won't do you any good. Sometimes I, I hear people say, you know, I, I can't do this because it's been a really bad week. I royally messed up this week, and so I'm not going to participate in this. See, you've missed the point. Who hasn't royally messed up this week? Who hasn't subverted the order? Right? A little bit of pride is an offense to God because it's treason. So the issue is not, what was your week like? The issue is, Right here, right now, do you recognize this is a, a, a gift of grace? Okay, your week was horrible. I guarantee it wasn't as bad as mine. I promise I've... We can compare stories, if you'd like. What you did, what I've done, what you thought, what I've thought. But right here, right now, where you sit, there is an offer of grace. It's not what happened, it's right here, right now, where you sit. God, I, I blew it this week. Would you cleanse me? And his response is, yes. And then we're free to come and accept this gift as a reminder that the cross really was sufficient. It really was sufficient. It doesn't mean that we don't take sin seriously. What it means is we use this as a reminder and as the standard and the motivation to walk out this week and say, God, last week I failed to listen and hear and see. Would you help me do that this week? Last week I failed in this area, God. Through the power of your Spirit, would you help me not fail in that again? Would you be bold enough to ask God to allow you opportunities to practice where you failed last week? That's a scary one, isn't it? Because what if He does? What if you failed in anger and God annoys you to no end this week? What if you failed in doubt and God sort of removes, seems to remove Himself from your presence? What if you failed in lust and God continues to bring images across your mind that you tried to avoid? What if you failed in greed and God continues to, either from removing or blessing allows money to be an object that continues to flow through your mind this week. What if he did that because 
He cares about you and wants to see you conform to the image of His Son. And so He gave you opportunities to practice. Would you allow this to be your strength? The Son of God died for me. Let me pray for us, please. Father, you have given us a wonderful gift. Life. When we deserve death. And the night before you took our death and gave us your life, you sat with your disciples and you took some bread and you broke it and you gave it to them and you said, and you said take, eat, this is my body broken for you. And then you also took a cup and you passed it around and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And so we continue to celebrate that event, remembering that you gave your body and you gave your life for us, that we might be your people. So this morning I ask that you would use this to nourish our souls, to prepare us for the week that is ahead to remind us that the week behind is actually behind and we are cleansed and forgiven. And God, we look forward to what you will do in and through us this week as you continue to conform us to the image of your Son. And we ask these things in Christ's name.